Well, broadly speaking, Romans has a structure that moves from sin to salvation to service. And tonight we're dealing with one of the sin texts. So not the most, um, not necessarily the most inspiring of texts tonight, but news that we need to hear to understand our situations as humans in this broken world. So let's hear Romans 1, verses 18 to 32 this evening. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, once when we were visiting Laura's parents, I was sitting in their front room reading a book, and every now and then something would go by on the road in front, so I'd glance up for a second. So I saw a car go by, glanced up for a second, caught some more motion, glanced up, family was walking their dog, caught some more motion, looked up, and a 25-foot tree fell down across the street. Looked down at my book, and then thought, wait a second, a 25-foot tree just fell down across the street. What? So I got up, and we went out, and we crossed the street, and there was this big tree that had just fallen over. And when we went and we looked closely, it turned out that the roots of that tree had all rotted out about six inches from the trunk, and on that windy day, when a certain gust of wind came from just the right direction, the whole tree just went over. Boom. Now, 20 seconds, five seconds before, two seconds before that tree fell over, I would have told you everything was fine. It looked great, but its roots had gone rotten, 
And it was only a matter of time before the whole thing was going to fall over. Now in this text, Paul is digging down to the rotten roots of the human race. If you just look at the surface, people can look pretty good. But there's a lot of darkness buried down there at our roots. So after Paul finishes up his greetings in the first 17 verses of Romans, his next move is to dig down deep to the problems at the roots of the human experience. And the root of the problem, the basic issue that Paul gets at, is that people have exchanged the glory of God for images and idols. Verses 19 and 20 tells us that people should know the true God. From the creation of the world, it says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God has revealed his glory in the world. Now, we often call that general revelation. In nature and even in history, God freely, generally reveals himself to everybody. If people look at the world they should be able to figure out some things about the Creator God. Maybe they couldn't get everything right, but they should be able to figure out that God exists, that He's powerful, and even that He's good. This general revelation that God put into creation is enough that everybody is in the position to have some knowledge about God. So given what Romans 1, 18 to 23 there tells us, we should expect that people will have some ideas about God. In general, people should have some glimmer, some hint, some something that God exists, that God is good, and that they need to obey this God. But it's like people are looking at the world, looking at this creation, looking at general revelation through a terribly cracked windshield or through glasses that are all fogged over. They can see what's out there, but it's all blurred and confused. They have double vision, and it just doesn't make sense. And so while we can expect that people have some ideas about God, we shouldn't expect that they have all the right ideas, and we shouldn't expect that they'll live in a way that glorifies God either. And in fact, as Paul tells us, instead of looking from the good creation up to the creator God, what people do more often is look at the creation and then find something in creation to make a God out of. So people turn away from God they get stuck in looking at created things and their thinking becomes useless and their hearts go dark. It's like people draw the blinds, close the curtains, and then stumble around in the spiritual dark. Humans have turned away from God and exchanged the glory of God for all kinds of things. They've exchanged light for darkness. They've exchanged wisdom for foolishness. Now, some people think that in verses 21 to 23 here, Paul is looking back to the beginning of human history, back to the original fall when Adam and Eve sinned. But I think it's better to understand these verses as talking about something that all humanity is involved in. This isn't something that just happened once at the beginning of history when people turned away from God. Paul is talking about something that goes on and on and on. Even today, people should be able to figure some things out from God, about God by looking at the world. But generation after generation after generation, people keep turning away from God and exchanging the true God for idols. 
Now, in the old days, at the time Paul was writing, people would often take wood or metal or stone or what have you, and they'd make an actual idol or image, and they'd worship it. And we don't really do that so directly today, but people today still make their own gods. Now, we could be here all night making a list of all the gods that people create for themselves, but I think if we wanted to pinpoint a couple of our American idols they might be consumerism and pleasure. Now look at the cars that people buy, drive around, look at the houses that people buy, talk to people and see this desperate drive that so many of us in America have to get more stuff, to get the bigger house, to get the next car, to get the latest device. We want and we want and we want, and that becomes an idol. Or if you watch just one night of network television and you watch the advertisement and you watch the shows, you couldn't possibly tell me that our culture doesn't worship good looks and sexual pleasure. Even today, people make idols out of wood and stone, out of flesh and metal. But unfortunately, we have to realize that this isn't just about the people out there. This story isn't just about people out in the world We are all characters here in Romans 1. The ground state of humanity, the place that everybody starts from, is exchanging the glory of God for idols that we've made for ourselves. We can certainly look at the effects of evil in this world and we can condemn it. We can look at the terrible things that people do and we can condemn those things. This morning, Pastor Greg talked about a lot of ways that women around the world are enslaved, abused, taken advantage of, minimized, and all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And we should condemn that. But the truth of the matter is that the root that those sins grow out of exists in all of our hearts. When God looks at us, He doesn't just look at the worst sins. He doesn't just look at the things that we do on the outside. He looks deeper than that. He looks at our hearts. He looks at the roots of our lives. And God knows that humanity has rotten roots. Buried way down there sometimes, but they're there. And so God has to do radical surgery on humanity. He can't just fix the effects of sin. If God is going to fix humanity, if God is going to make things right from the description that Paul gives us in Romans 1, God is going to have to do deep deep work with human beings. Now, later in our journey through Romans, as we get to later chapters, we'll see what God does to save people. And of course, Jesus is at the center of that story. But for right now, we'll just leave this here. People are always exchanging God for idols. And when they do that, things get dark and things go rotten. And God is going to have to do something about it. And one thing that God does that Paul talks about here in Romans 1 is that God gives people over to their idols. When people exchange God for any given idol, God lets them go. The Lord gives people over to other gods. He hands them over to the things that they've chosen. And this ends up being a terrible and also a fitting punishment. Someone, I think it was Oscar Wilde, once said, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. When the gods wish to punish us, 
they answer our prayers. Often the things that humans set their hearts on are the very things that destroy them. And so just letting people do what they've chosen to do is often a great and terrible punishment in and of itself. So if people don't want to serve the Lord as their God and master, he'll let them serve other masters. But there is no other master as good, as gracious, or as true as the Lord. Created things are wonderful gifts, but they are terrible, terrible masters. So when people exchange gods for idols, or God for idols, God hands them over to their idols. And Paul mentions three things here that God hands people over to. First, when people rebel against God, they're given over to idolatry, to other gods. The first rebellion is against the Creator. And if people want to serve creatures instead of the Creator, God will hand them over to that. And then second, God hands people over to sexual immorality. In verses 26 and 27, Romans says that God gives people over to shameful lusts, and then in various ways they exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And there's a pretty logical progression here. First, people have rebelled against the Creator, and they end up in idolatry. And then they go on from that, and they rebel against the created order. And that ends in the immorality that Paul mentions in verses 26 and 27. Rebellion against the Creator leads to rebellion against the creation order. And to really get the biblical point here, we need to go back to creation. And Genesis 1 tells us that God created man and woman, male and female, in the image of God. And then in Genesis 2, it again tells us that God made man and woman and put them together. And these two, the man and the woman, leave their parents, they're united to each other, and they become one flesh. That is the creation pattern of humanity. Adam and Eve, man and woman, united as one, created by God to bear his image and to reflect his glory. Anything beside that is a move away from the created order. And that's probably why Paul mentions those particular sins here in verses 26 and 27. He wants to highlight that when people rebel against God, that rebellion keeps going against the order that God has created. So the only way that you can get around that Genesis 1 and 2 pattern that pattern that we see Paul talk about here in Romans 1 and how people go away from it, the only way that you can get away from that in our world today is by discrediting, twisting, or undercutting the biblical text. Paul is pretty clear that those sins that Paul mentions, well, they're a result of turning away from the Creator. They're a discrediting of the creation order, period. Being given over to these things is a symptom of humanity having exchanged God for other gods. And that's where Romans leaves us. Now in our culture for today, same-sex relationships are a huge, huge flashpoint. And Christians are coming down on opposite sides of this spectrum. Some people are saying, no, it's okay, we don't need to read Romans too much. And other people are going to the opposite extreme. But neither of the extremes that we see out there, I think, get everything right. So I want to talk a little bit about how we respond to Paul's teaching here in verses 26 and 27. Now, one response that we see a lot to these verses is to take an accommodating position. People on this side say something like, yes, that's what the Bible says. 
The Bible says same-sex relationships are a no-go, but that's not what it means for today. Yes, the Bible gives us particular patterns, but that doesn't fit what we know today or how we want to live today or where the world is today. Paul was basically just having a bad day when he wrote those verses, so just scratch them out of your Bible, ignore the nasty bits, and focus on the good stuff. And there is some appeal to that approach in our contemporary world. It makes certain parts of the Bible a lot easier to live with, and it makes it a lot easier for us to fit in to contemporary society. But that kind of approach goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament Israelites often took that kind of accommodating position. Yeah, the Lord said this, the Lord said that. He gave us all these patterns for our lives, but really, that doesn't fit with our contemporary reality in the land of Canaan here today. So yeah, keep what you like, worship the Lord, but if you want to throw some Baal in there too, no problem. Moses was just having a bad day when he brought the Ten Commandments down, so take the pieces you like and leave the rest. Now obviously that's not an approach that fits well with being God's own holy beloved people. If we want to follow God, we need to put ourselves under his care and also under his direction. And we see that direction given pretty clearly to us in Scripture. The accommodating approach on this question does not deal with Scripture well. And so it's not really a good way to go. But another response that we often see on the opposite side of the spectrum is to take verses like these in Romans, to take the Bible and to beat people up with it. Yes, this is what the Bible says. So take that, you terrible sinner. Yes, the Bible gives us this pattern, and you aren't living up with it, so you, you have fallen short. God hates people like you. God could never like you, and so on and so forth. And if we're honest, there's some appeal to that approach too. It makes life a lot simpler, and it makes everything much more black and white. Black and white. It's clear who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out. But this also is an error that goes back a long ways. People who take that kind of approach on homosexuality can sound a lot like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' time. They had their list of sins, and they had their own ideas about what counted and didn't count as righteousness. And they were quite happy to tell other people about it. But the thing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees never got around to was dealing with their own issues. They started from God's law, yes, but then they added all their own things, they made their own list of sins, And they left all the grace out of it. Now, obviously, that approach doesn't really fit too well with a God who came and who suffered and died for us, for a God who came and brought grace even to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. That approach has a hard time really accounting for a Jesus who loves even the least, the last, and the lost. Now, obviously, those two approaches are at the opposite ends of the spectrum, and we need to find a way way to live in our contemporary world that incorporates the best and leaves out the worst of those two approaches. We need to live in obedience to what the Lord teaches us in Scripture. We need to follow what God teaches us about what's right and what's wrong. And the Bible is clear on where same-sex activity falls on that spectrum. But we also need to see every single human being 
as an image bearer of God. Broken, yes, but redeemable in God's grace. This is a cliche, but we need to be full of grace and full of truth. Our Lord calls us to love all of our neighbors, and he also calls us to be a holy people and a kingdom of priests. So when we read verses like these ones in Romans, we absolutely should not dismiss, twist, or undercut them. This is God's word for us, and we should listen and obey what it has to say to us, even if it is hard in our contemporary world. But also when we read these verses, we shouldn't feel gratified or self-righteous, like, ha ha, those people out there sure are in trouble. We should feel terribly grieved that God's image bearers, that God's creation has gotten so far out of joint. And we should feel inspired to do what we can to bring God's gracious good news about holy living to this world. Now, I'm happy to talk more about those sets of issues if you like, but right now, let's get back to the flow of our text. Earlier, we saw that when people exchanged God for idols, he gave them over to idolatry and then to immorality, and finally, people ended up in injustice, mistreating other people in all kinds of terrible ways. When we get to verse 28, it says that God gave people over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, since people didn't think it was worthwhile to serve God, God gave them over to all kinds of worthless things. So in verses 29 to 31, we get to what's called a vice list. And the things on that list are mostly ways that people act out against other people. When people turn away from God, they end up also turning against other people. When people exchange God for idols, God gives them up and they end up in injustice and in the disintegration of everything that is good in their lives. Idolatry leads to immorality. Immorality leads to injustice, to people mistreating each other, to everything falling apart and disintegrating. When people turn away from God and God gives them over to other gods, everything, everything goes bad. Now, if you want to say it a little more bluntly, when God gives people over to other gods, everything goes to hell, literally. There's this book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And the book starts out with Lewis as the narrator walking through this city in the evening just as it begins to get dark. And it seems like an endless city. It's gray, it's run down, it's full of nasty old apartments, broken down warehouses, closed up little stores. And finally, after walking for what seems like forever and seeing almost nobody, Lewis comes to this bus stop. And there's a crowd of people there. So he gets in the line just because there's people there. And within a couple minutes of him getting in the line, two people scream at each other and walk off in the opposite direction. I only came because you wanted to, you jerk. And off they go. A minute later, someone mouths off to someone else in the queue and they get this fist out, bang, bang, bang fight. One of them gets knocked out and the other guy walks away from the line. And it goes on and on and on. And by the time the bus actually comes, the line has dwindled from this huge group of people to just a few people. Now, Lewis gets on this bus, and to his surprise, it takes off. And as he flies up in the air, he can see that this town goes on and on and on forever. 
And he starts talking to the person next to him. And he finds out that this city does go on almost forever. And nobody in it can get along. If two people settle on the same block, inevitably they will have a nasty fight and one of them will move on. If they find somewhere else where a couple families live, the families always get in a huge fight and somebody keeps moving on. The town is so huge because nobody can live with each other. So everybody just keeps moving further and further and further out. And as the book goes on, Lewis ends up finding out that he's on a bus trip from, from hell to heaven. And that town, that endless gray town where everybody is always fighting is the beginnings of hell. All the people there have turned their backs on God and God has let them go. And as they go farther and farther from God, they sink into worse and worse misery. Think about living in a town full of people who daily practiced all the vices that Paul lists there in verses 29 to 31. And you can see how that would be a hellish place to live. If all your neighbors were wicked, evil, greedy, depraved, envious, murderous, and so on and on and on. Think about how badly you would want to move away. But of course, people can't get away from themselves. You can move away from your nasty fighting neighbors, but wherever you move, your own brokenness is going to come along. You can run as far and fast as you want, but it won't make any difference in the end. Wherever you go, you take yourself, you take your sin along. When God gives people over to their sin, to the things that they have chosen for themselves, it's a terrible judgment. Now, we can't necessarily always look at someone's life and say they have this struggle because they committed that sin. But broadly speaking, when humanity turns against creator and against creation order, there are fitting natural consequences for our corporate and our individual sin. And the consequences of sin get passed on from generation to generation to generation, and every generation adds its own contributions to the pile of sin in the world. We all continue to reap the results of Adam's sin, of the sin of our ancestors, and of our own sins. When people turn away from God, God hands them over to their sin, and everything goes bad and keeps going from bad to worse. This is not a happy text. These are difficult, challenging verses, and if we really listen to them, we should feel a little bit depressed maybe, a little bit Concerned, a little bit like, what in the world do we do with this? But we need to hear this bad news in order to really appreciate the good news. Readers of Romans need to start with chapter 1 so that when we get to the gracious good news of the coming of our Lord Jesus later, we know exactly how good that news is. And the good news is that despite all of humanity's mistakes, despite the punishments we deserve, God has acted to save us. The gospel of Romans, the gospel of our lives, is that God saves everyone who believes. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, God has given all of us a righteousness of our own. 
We need to recognize how bad things are in this world and in us as human beings. But as Christians, this story will end with how good God is and with his work in our lives. We all start out as terrible, broken, sinful, rotten human beings. But God has acted to wipe out our guilt through the work of Christ. Humanity's roots have gone terribly bad, and everything in our world is unstable and prone to collapse. But God has come, and he is cleaning up that infection. In Jesus Christ, God makes us clean and able to stand before him. This is the good news that we live in. This is the only comfort, the only hope we have in this broken world where we all live as broken people.